You're listening to Starting Place, a podcast of Training the Church. I'm your host, Elizabeth Woodson, and this season we are unpacking the gospel by examining different themes that are present in the biblical story. On today's episode, I am talking with Kat Armstrong, Bible teacher and author who is the co-founder of the Polished Network, an organization that emboldens women in their faith and work. She loves encouraging curious Christians to explore Bible stories and has recently released a six-study series called the Storyline Bible Series that will guide you through your study of the Bible. Today, Kat and I are going to finish up our journey through the Old Testament by talking about the intertestamental period and the theme of waiting on God. The intertestamental period is what happens historically between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. It's a 400-year period where God was seemingly silent, not providing new words or prophecies to his people. So during this period of time, God's people are waiting. They're waiting on the Messiah. So today, Kat is going to explain what life was like during this waiting period, showing us how everyday people fought to be faithful to God and how even in the moments that it seemed like God was silent, In fact, he was always working. I am here for our last episode of the season. Next week, we will have a Q&A. So make sure to send in all your questions. But I'm here to finish out our series on the gospel through the Old Testament with my friend Kat. Kat, how are you doing? I'm so good. I'm so glad to be your finale. <laughs> you know, we got to say the best for luck. last, Kat. <laughs> say the best for last. Um, Kat, you do a lot of things in a lot of places. And so for our listeners who might not be familiar with you and your work, can you just share a little bit about yourself and the ministry work that you do? Well, I'm a Bible teacher and I'm an author, and I love encouraging curious Christians mm-hmm. to explore Bible stories with holy curiosity. And one of the ways I do that is to help people follow a person, place, or thing through the scriptures. I love finding biblical imagery and symbolism and themes that show up because I have had a fragmented faith in the past and it's been frayed at the ends, um, fried sometimes. And I have found that looking at the Bible as a unified, cohesive story of redemption actually puts my own faith back together because I see how he puts his story together. Um, so that's what I'm really all about. But you're right. I do a lot of different things. It's like I can't hold my attention one place. But I work full time for Integris Leadership. They do co- executive coaching for ministry leaders. Um, I'm on the board of a nonprofit I started 15 years ago called the Polish Network um, that emboldens working women. And um, I'm getting my doctorate in New Testament context, which perfectly fits with the conversation today. Um, I didn't know uh, two months ago that reading endless books about the Pharisees could benefit your listeners today. So um, I just started that program and I'm not sure what I'm doing with it, Elizabeth, but I'm having a lot of fun. Hey, that's the key. You're having fun. And oh, I know that we are going to benefit from the overflow of that program. I am a little jealous because I want to be in that uh, doctoral space. But you know, sometimes you got to listen to the Lord when he says, pump your pump your heels a little bit. So I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> But hopefully, you're like, I have to write my 52,000 books first and record 52 podcasts. But then, no, it'll be 
It's so fun. I think it's fun to be with other people who are going back to school for fun. You know, for a lot of us, every level of education narrows out who's there just to play, who's there because they have to be. Exactly. Um, And it's really fun to be around some like-minded people. And of course, I failed to mention that I have been married for 20 years. I have an amazing son who's nine, <laughs> and my amazing mother lives with us. Uh, she moved in five years ago after my dad's really tragic passing, death by suicide. And God has just woven a redemption story, even just her moving in. I, it was a season when I needed my mom, and I'm a very independent, autonomous person. Yeah. And I needed my mom more than I ever have, and I'm 42 and she was here and she's close. And now, you know, we get the benefit of having her here. But that's a little bit about me personally. Okay. Okay. Well, we met at, D- did we meet at DTS at our time at Dallas Theological Seminary? Somehow. Yeah, we did. Okay. Okay. And I am having you here today to talk about the intertestamental period. It is something that you might not hear a lot about actually in church. It's the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament and some really significant things happen But Kat, you got a funny story about how you have learned (laughs) or maybe didn't learn about this period of time at DTS. Why don't you share that with us? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I would I I think I took a course on intertestamental history. I think it was required for me at the time. And I was also simultaneously earning a Mercedes Benz through this network marketing company that I was a part of. I know. Cancel me. Send an email straight to Elizabeth. Whatever. (laughs) It paid that skincare sales paid for my seminary degree, paid for my husband seminary degree. It's still paying for some of my doctorate degree, but there was an opportunity where you reach a certain level, you can earn a car. And so obviously there was a time frame that you got to do it. It overlapped this intertestamental history class. I must have slept through or sold through uh, the final. And I literally ran up to campus and showed up breathless to this professor and was like, I'm so sorry. I've been earning a Mercedes. And he was like, what? I'm sure he'd heard all of it before the dog ate my homework. And I was like, no, for real. Like it's a SLK280 with a hard top. Like it's, <laughs> it's a convertible. And I'm not, I did not do well in that class. And I remember telling my husband, Aaron, like there's Sadducees and Pharisees and then there's Mercedes. So <laughs> I had to prioritize at the time. So I thought, Phil, it's very ironic that you have me on the show today because I'm pretty sure I fa- I must have made, I made several Ds while I, I was at Dallas Seminary. Me too. I think that was one of them. And now here I am, t- 11 years later, doing this D-Men at Northern Seminary with Scott McKnight. Our whole first semester is on the Jewishness of Jesus, intertestamental history, mm. Second Temple Judaism. I'm like reading Josephus for the first time. And so just the whole it, irony is all over this episode. Well, look at the Lord. We are happy that you got your Mercedes, but you also <laughs> eventually learned about the inter- intertestamental period. And so we're going to jump in, Kat. Because people might know what that is and they might not know what it is. It's about a 400-year period, again, between historically between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What happens during the intertestamental period? Why is this a significant time in the life of Israel? 
Yeah, a lot of people also call it Second Temple Judaism because the Jewish people had just rebuilt their temple. So that's how the Old Testament really ends with Nehemiah rebuilding and we have Ezra prophesying. And so it's you're right, it's this multi-hundred year season of silence for God's people. And so they'd seen God be really faithful and they'd seen God restore and rebuild as he said that he would, but they're still waiting on their Messiah. And then it's like God goes radio silent. We don't have any of the beautiful prophetic words being spoken over God's people. And it's a time when the Jewish people became radicalized by the law um, that they were practicing. And eventually they become opponents of Christianity and of Jesus in this time period. So a lot happens and it's between the Old and the New Testament. So We kind of just flip a page in our Bibles, but there's a significant portion of history that happened. And for those of us who read the New Testament, we're reading about Bible characters and groups of Jewish leaders like the Sadducees, the Pharisees, Essenes. These groups of people sound so far off, Elizabeth, sometimes. Like, who are they? Can we know them? What do we know about them? And it's during this time period that God's people are experiencing the silence of God or no new words from him. They're also experiencing the Romans take over, the Roman Empire take over. They're having to figure out their political alliances. Mm -hmm. And so you've got leadership groups forming that disagree with one another on how to practice the law to honor God faithfully. Um, So this is you know, it's a really significant season of waiting for God's people in Second Temple Judaism or intertestamental history. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we read through scripture and you said it, Kat, like we'll turn pages and you'll turn 50, 60, 100 years. And so sometimes we don't always slow down and realize there are a significant amount of people who are trying to just live life and be faithful to the promises that they've held on to. And especially during this period of time, we see them try to be faithful under hardship, um, under Roman rule, under seasons in which they might not have the things that they hope for, that life isn't what they thought it should be. Um, and they don't get new words from God. And so all of this stuff is happening. Life is hard, political complications, religious leaders is complicated. God seems to be silent Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to just wait and not wait for 15 minutes or an hour or he's going to show up next week. Like he shows up hundreds of years later, which means there are people who lived and died while they were waiting on the Lord. Yeah, we've got generations. You're going to have whole families from beginning to end be born and then go to their grave not experiencing new words from God through prophetic voices and these visionary leaders. And you've got generations of people having to depend upon what they can remember God has Mm -hmm. done. Of course, they had the books of the law. They had things to depend on. They had their faith passed down um, through their their religious practices where I'm not saying that in a negative way, a really positive way. They were passing down their faith from generation to generation. But as you can imagine... I would assume that every generation it got harder and harder and harder to trust God because you're so far away from a move of God. And yet he was faithful. We know that he he wasn't like taking a nap. 
for 400 years. <laughs> right. But I'm sure that it felt that way yeah. for a lot of people that were anticipating this Messiah and just waiting. And then as you see the Roman Empire take over, you can imagine that people's trust in God may have been deteriorating. It could have been also they were in a season of being really cynical because we've been waiting so long, we don't even remember what we're waiting on. You know, I think about the culture we live in or the moment we're in. Waiting is hard for us uh, for a lot of different reasons. When I think about what it means for us to be resilient, what it means for us to persevere, uh, what it means for us to live in light of what God has done before. In the conversations I'm having with people, you're in ministry, Kat, as so I know you're talking with other people, waiting is just hard. What do you think is unique and maybe not unique about our current moment that makes that difficult for us? Mm-hmm. What makes it difficult, I mean, internal and external factors. So internally, we are just wired, right, to see the next thing happen and I think externally, especially where we live in a Western um, capitalistic experience, we're on and doing to the next thing. I mean, you really have to to stay alive. It's either a change or die type of evolution when it comes to work and monetizing all the things that you do. And, you know, we feel it in every area of our life. So it's only natural that we bring our external experiences to our spiritual life where it seems that God takes His time. And we should really appreciate that about Him when we're on the other side of um, full sanctification. We're really glad, you know, when we think about that, that He's taken His time with us and that our work, uh, uh, we're being a work in project that's not done yet. But I think it's really, really hard. And I think some really interesting things that the people of God in this time of intertestamental history teach us is that they were waiting on Messiah. They were waiting on Jesus. Some of them didn't even know his name was going to be Jesus, but they're waiting on Jesus. And I think that Second Temple Judaism can be a real resource to us as we wait on Jesus's second coming. So they were waiting on the first advent. We're waiting on the second advent. And the way they responded in history, in this time period, I think is a reflection of what we're talking about right now, Elizabeth, how we respond. It looks like, They were doing their very best to live out their faith with the little that they knew about the coming Messiah. And now we are living, we're trying to live faithfully, waiting for Jesus' second coming. We don't have it all figured out. And it looks like part of the way they responded is they factioned off into these religious leadership groups. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to work out their faith under Roman law, under the current political structures, They were trying to be brave, but also not get themselves killed. Um, You know, they were trying to figure out how to practice their faith at temple when the temple was really overseen and shared power with the political authority. It was just messy. And so I think you get where I'm going with this is why is it so hard for us to wait? It's a lot of the reasons it was hard for them. Mm. You know, we just have, it's really complicated. Life is really complicated. I don't want that to sound so broad or over-spiritualized, but that is really my answer is that it's really complicated to wait on Jesus. And as we wait, we're wrestling with all these things that he didn't necessarily cover overtly in the scriptures that we're having to interpret and reapply in new circumstances. But I think that intertestamental history can be so um, helpful to us. You know, I I like how you um, 
you know, you mentioned just the political dynamics that they were trying to work through and really just trying to do their best um, because in the midst of waiting, you still have to live. Uh, One of the passages that I like to go to is Jeremiah 29, 1 through 11. Um, And it's the words that Jeremiah gives to Israel while they're in exile. And he tells them in the midst of their valley that you need to show up and live intentionally. Mm And that mm-hmm. the, the thriving of the city is interconnected with you thriving. And so there's this mm-hmm. element that life doesn't stop for us, that while we are waiting, we know that God is working, but also we're called to work. And you yes. see them wrestle through that. You see them um, do their best, which means that, that their decisions are not always going to work out the way they want to. But there's this element of we trust God to do what he's going to do, even when we don't understand how it's going to happen. But it is this process of they weren't at a lack of words. They just didn't have new ones. And it's this idea of the remembrance of the law, the remembrance Mm -hmm. of the stories, the remembrance of God's deliverance to embolden their faith that what we have believed in and know what happened before will Mm -hmm. happen again. Mm -hmm. We just trust that God will be who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And the ways that, the stories that didn't make it into scripture of how God sustained his people, but it is this element of they still had to show up in situations that were less than ideal and Mm -hmm. do their best to honor the Lord as they remembered what they had Mm -hmm. while they waited for God to be who he said he was going to be with the first coming of Jesus. It's so good, Elizabeth. I mean, I think of when the Dead Sea Scrolls and all the Qumran Scrolls Mm -hmm. came out from this period of time and really shed light on how some people were living. And, you know, you look at some of those groups like the Essenes and go, what? What are they doing? You know, they're seeing the corruption in the temple, trying to break off from normal society, and trying to restore the temple to its glory. I mean, it just, it all sounds, although we don't have a temple, we, you and I see corruption and some ministry work that we do, and we're all trying to grapple with, this isn't how it's supposed to be, and Jesus yeah. is coming back. How do we live in light of that? So why is it so hard to wait? I mean, we have the certainty of his return, mm-hmm. but not the certainty of how we should live. The benefit we have that they didn't is obviously that we have Jesus. And I know that we'll talk about that at the end, but I think a lot of them were were grappling with this like uh, apocalyptic vision of what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think it should give us some grace for people when we look around and go, I cannot believe that denomination is doing that. (laughs) I really can't. I really can't. But I look at the intertestamental history time and I go, gosh, these three groups of people that I've kind of villainized in the past, what they were really doing was trying their best. They just did it so imperfectly. And we can learn from their mistakes. But I think it shows us a lot about how in our waiting, we don't do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And none of us like that. We don't want to do a bad job. No, we don't want to do a bad job at all. And, And again, it's easy for us, like you said, to look at a certain group of people and say, you believe some wonky stuff. <laughs> you need to get off of that. And what we see God do is in his grace, what needs to come together comes together, right? There are these kind of two sides. I use the word tension all the time. Sometimes I don't like to use that word, but it's like two truths that you can't let go of. Like you have to hold on to and scripture doesn't reconcile them for us. They're both true. And it's true that we're called to do our best. And it's also true that God's going to get us to where we're supposed to be and cover the ways in which we fall short. Like both are true. Um, And we see that. We see well-intentioned people um, not always doing the best things, but Jesus still comes. Mm -hmm. And we see even in this period of history that there are certain just cultural developments that make the spreading of the gospel easier. That you have the Roman roads. You have 
the spread uh, of, of language that yeah. a lot of people spoke the same language. And mm-hmm. so it was easy to communicate, um, easier to communicate than maybe, maybe it would have been before. Um, but those things took time mm-hmm. and that God works in over time in the small ways. He's always faithful. But how I want, because that's big. That's a lot of people, but we're two people, Kat, who are just trying to be faithful to the Lord. And I know you and I have had seasons of waiting. Um, what does it look like for you to wait? Mm-hmm. In the unknown, things aren't working out the way they should in your life. What has helped you wait faithfully on God? Mm-hmm. I, I'm prone to go through grief when I wait because I'm so unaccustomed to it and I dislike it so much. And I know that sounds a little extreme for those who are listening and going, she may not have experienced enough trauma to know what grief is really mm-hmm. for, but sometimes waiting on the things I really need and really want or really trusting God for send me through the grief cycle. And one of the things that has helped me wait well is just understanding that there is a process to grief mm-hmm. and that there are seasons to it. And it's almost, again, like the second advent, knowing that Jesus is coming back makes it all worth it, makes the wait worthwhile, adds meaning to struggle in the same way. I think just knowing that there is a grief cycle that I tend to go through when I'm waiting and what what that part is. Then I get to it and I go, okay, that's why I'm angry. I'm really angry while I'm waiting or... Oh, now I'm bargaining. Yes, I've been here before. That really helps. And then I would say on a a really small, seemingly insignificant way, just turning off my phone and learning to wait on messages for 24 Mm -hmm. hours. That's it. Sometimes I don't even make it the 24 hours. Just to go without the communication, because I'm not a brain surgeon, because I'm not on call as a doctor, I have the privilege of being able to turn off my phone. And honestly, Elizabeth, that has helped me wait better on bigger things. Mm. Because in that small amount of time, I'm deferring that gratification I want with all those messages and checking and being on the know and what's the weather. and yeah. But just settling in, into, do I need to know that right now? Can I wait just 24 hours to check the weather? I could just go outside. Yeah. So small things like that have really helped in when you pause intentionally and things you can control, when you get into things that have paused you in life that you can't control, you're like, you know what? I I know how to wait and I can do this. God's going to be with me in it. Yeah. You know, it is the habits that we have make it, waiting is a muscle. And the more that we exercise the muscle, the easier it gets. And so there are certain things that we do that make it more difficult. And and you mentioned one real good one, that we're on our phones all the time, that we live in the space of instant gratification, instant communication, and that makes it harder when we're trying to wait on something that's not instant. Um, and in fact, it might take weeks, months, even years to materialize. Um, and we know that it might not be in our lifetime that Christ returns. So that's like a, another whole muscle of waiting. Um, and so how do we put a pause? Like, how do we put a pause and that we build this muscle for living in the in-between in a way that we don't immediately lose faith? We don't immediately fall and and walk in our... Um, I don't know about you, Kat, but sometimes I throw adult tantrums with the Lord, <laughs> you know, but it's that we are are sooner to remember what is true and beautiful about God. But that takes time. 
And that takes a discipline of building that over years. I look back at people who I know who have been walking with the Lord a long time, and it's easier for them to trust God in the in-between. I think part of that is they've just been walking with the Lord a long time. Um, And then giving ourselves grace for the hard things, uh, because sometimes we're waiting, and that waiting is connected to a pain point. Like you said, that waiting is connected to grief. And then how do I give myself grace to be able to process that, to not stuff it, to be honest about the anger or the frustration or the doubt? God's not afraid of any of those things, but that I'm processing that with him and not away from him or processing Mm -hmm. that with good community um, who loves the Lord and can remind me of what is beautiful and true when it's hard for me to remember myself. Kat, we this semester started with Shalom. We started with talking about Genesis, started by talking about this beautiful environment of perfection and peace that God created us to live in with him. Um, And we also talked about how sin messes that up. And so this season, we've just been seeing this back and forth between God's people choosing God and choosing to follow him, or sometimes choosing in the way of sin and God's faithfulness in spite of all of those things. And every week we have had the privilege of hearing from our guests of how the gospel, this redemptive um, good news about Jesus coming connects with that part of scripture. And so Kat, for our final episode for this season, as we talk about the gospel in the Old Testament, can you show us, can you explain, share um, a couple words of wisdom about how this season of silence is 400 years and what we see Israel do in this season points us to the beautiful truth of the gospel. Yes. You know, what you've covered already in this season on the show is um, God made something good, and you've covered that we've messed it up. Mm-hmm. And you've also covered, you know, we're all pointing towards Jesus is going to make it right. Yeah. And I will just add to that, that one day God's going to make all things new. This mm-hmm. is truly the gospel in four little phrases. God made something good. We messed it up. Jesus made it right. And one day God will make all things new. Mm-hmm. And God's people knew parts of that in the Old Testament. Um, They may not have called him by Jesus, but they knew the Messiah was coming and that he was going to make things right. And they were learning how God was going to make all things new. They just didn't know how it was going to all sort out. And I think the intertestamental period and this theme of waiting on God points us towards the gospel because it shows us that God's people have had to learn in the past how Mm -hmm. to live out their faith while waiting on something they really, really need. Because I don't know about you, but I need Jesus to return really soon. There are some things that I need to stop tears on, that I need to experience Mm. joy on. And so I need that time when he says he's going to come back and right all wrongs. But we're having to wait on it. And what we see is that God, there were many of God's people who waited faithfully and patiently. And by the time Jesus came in his first advent, they did respond to him in faith. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I want to respond in faith in the second coming even, not for my salvation, but to express my joy when Jesus comes back, the way it seems John envisions us, you know, seeing him put all things right in the book of Revelation. And I would just also want to mention that we can maybe look at someone like Nicodemus, who was a religious leader at the time in one of these groups we've talked about that formed in the intertestamental history time period that had a lot of questions and a lot of doubts, but enough curiosity to go to Jesus and ask some hard questions. Mm. And we see that it took longer for Nicodemus to respond to Jesus as Messiah than it did some of Jesus's early disciples and even some of the tax collectors. But nonetheless, it does seem like Nicodemus did respond in faith. And so I just want to encourage 
anyone who's listening, that if you're waiting on God and you feel like people around you, like they respond better in times of waiting or they're grasping to their faith sooner, that's okay. You may need a little bit more time with God. And what the internet testamental history shows us is that God is never silent, He's never inactive, and that you may be waiting, but He's working. He's working, and you can trust Him on that. And if He has to wait on you the way He did Nicodemus, He will. God is never silent. He's always working, even in the waiting, and that we would be people who in the hard moments believe that, and even if the walking is slow, that we would wait faithfully on God. Thank you, Kat. It has been a joy to just get pieces of your wisdom. I am going to leave information about Kat in the show notes. And so you can connect with her. Kat has released a new project, Storyline Series, that goes through the entire story of the Bible. Um, And so it's a six-part series, and two of the books are out now on Amazon. And we will leave details for that in the show notes. Thank you, Kat. It was a joy having you here today. Thanks, Elizabeth. Appreciate you. At some point in our lives, we will all experience a waiting season, a period of time where we are waiting on God to make good on a promise or provide for us in some way. It could be a relationship, our marriage, our hope for a marriage, finances, job, health, or a plethora of other things. Sometimes in the waiting, it can be easy for us to believe that God has forgotten us or to get caught up in trying to work out things perfectly on our own, especially when God hasn't provided us with any new information, even though we try to ask Him for it. In today's conversation, we learned how God's people fought to be faithful as they were waiting on Christ's first coming. Were their efforts for faithfulness perfect? No. But in the midst of their imperfection, God was perfectly faithful. And what empowered Israel to be faithful to God? The same thing that empowers us, the divinely inspired Word of God. They returned to the words God had given them, remembered how He had been faithful in the past, which helped them see how He would be faithful again. So I will leave you with this one question. What would it look like for you to be faithful in your waiting season? Remember, even when it seems like God is silent, He is always working. Thank you for listening to Starting Place. This podcast is designed to serve as an introduction, helping you understand and grow in your Christian faith. So if you're interested in learning more about today's topic or connecting with our guests, please check the show notes for more information. And if you are interested in supporting the work we do, we'd love it if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. It helps other people find the show and connect with us. Until next time, grace and peace, y'all.